Well, good morning, church. We are in that time of year when the sickness comes around, changing of the weather. So if you're able to be here today, rejoice. This study of Hebrews has been a very interesting study for me. I hope it is for you as well. We're going to look at the second part of the word perfect. We did a message two weeks ago on it, and we're back to it today. So we're going to pick up kind of where we left off. Um, the word perfect, and, and, and I'm going to show you something today, why it's important for you when you study the Word of God to have a good concordance with you. Um, because we're going to see where the word perfect has a different meaning in different passages of Scripture, but yet they use the same word. And um, unfortunately, the English language is not as precise as the Greek and Hebrew language were. And uh, we, we take a word sometimes and like the word love, okay? Uh, Y'all know that there's more than one word for love in the Bible, all right? And, and we, we in America today use love for a lot of different things. And, you know, I love my dog. Uh, try saying I love my puppy and I love my wife, all right? And can, uh, uh, the love better be different, okay? And so it's... Um, uh, we'll look at some of that as we go through, and I hope it'll be a blessing to you. Father, bless the message, and may the messenger deliver only what you want delivered, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Hebrews 9.9 9 says, Which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices, that they could not... Uh, that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to, to conscience. Now, that word perfect there means complete. All right, complete. Make them complete. Now, by, by the way, <clears throat> you notice we didn't slay any goats or lambs today and sprinkle the blood. Anybody notice that? Aren't you glad we don't have to do that? I mean, I don't know about you. Um, Sometimes watching a TV show when they're doing an autopsy on TV gives me the creepies, okay? Uh, to have to slay a, a, an animal and sprinkle the blood. Uh, <clears throat> we'd have to let Priest Randy do that. And uh, because Priest Tilly would be a little bit queasy. Thank goodness we don't have to do that. Because in Christ... We're complete. Man's goodness falls far short of perfection. How many of you did everything perfect this week? That's all right, Brian. You can raise your hand. We all know the problem now. You told us you went out in the hailstorms when you were a kid, okay? And uh, you found out that hailstones hurt. And uh, so if you all want to know what's going on with Brian sometimes, just remember... He told us today in the men's class, he used to go outside and play in the hailstorms. And uh, so, that, Terry, that explained everything that I needed to explain right there. And so it's, uh, 
But in Daniel chapter 5, verse 29, Daniel told King Nebuchadnezzar, the Lord had written on the wall, he says to the king, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. That word wanting means you're found in deficit. Your goodness, your greatness doesn't measure up. This morning I read a sermon in the sword of the Lord about this very subject being found wanting in the balance. And you know, we're all going to be judged by God's balance scale. Okay. All of our good works, all of them will be outweighed. And the only way you're going to get into heaven is if God balances the scale with his grace and his mercy and his goodness. Because your goodness is going to fall short of what his standard of perfection is. Now, we as humans have a different standard of perfection. We would say a kid made 100 on a test, he would, that was perfect. Okay? But there's a lot of kids out there who made hundreds on tests, who graduated from school, went to college, graduated with honors, and made a ruin out of their life. Perfection is not something that we ourselves can measure up to. Only one could make that perfect sacrifice. In Isaiah 53, verse 10 and 11, we read this. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. I just, I, 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 we'll take our time through this, but it blows my mind that God the Father was pleased with the bruising of the Son. How many of you ever had your kids get bruised and you jump up and down and rejoice about it? <laughs> You're pleased with it. What happens if one of your kids comes home with a boo-boo? Do you say, oh, I'm pleased with that? You see, God himself, God himself was in charge of the bruising. Think about that. Nothing man did to Christ was done without the Father's okay. And I'm going to say to you, too, nothing happens in your life either without the Father's okay. Every bruise that you get in this battle of life, God has okayed. <laughs> Don't you wish you'd stop okaying sometimes? But you see, God knows those bruises in your life lead to perfection. It was the bruising of Christ. He was pleased to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. We can stop there and go home and be blessed. All my iniquity on him was laid. Not some of it. Not 
most of it, not only what's past, not only what's present, but what's future as well, has been placed on Christ. And when that happened, the Father said, now I'm satisfied. The payment is acceptable. You ever buy a car from a car dealer? Have you ever paid the first price quoted? If you do, there's something wrong with you. Car dealers go back and forth with you until you come with a satisfactory price. And the dealer says, I'm satisfied with that offer. And you say, I'm satisfied to accept that offer. And you're satisfied. You both have come to an agreement. Let me tell you something. With God, there's only one agreement that's satisfying. And it's not negotiable. Jesus Christ died and took my sin with him to Calvary. <laughs> Thank God. I am not the one who died. But yet, we have died. The Bible says we should die to self. Randy brought up in Sunday school this morning that repentance is a forgotten word when it comes to coming to Christ. Listen, you can't come to Christ and remain the same. If you come to Christ to remain the same, you did not come to the Christ in the Bible. You came to some other Christ, the new one, the modern one that's been made up. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1 through 4. For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of them, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers they're unto perfect or complete. Now, it's a shadow of good things to come. How many know that your shadow is not you? But it's a dark image of you. You all understand that? If you go out in the sunlight and you see your shadow, you can't say, hey, that's me. Okay. That is a shadow of you. I'm going to be very, very careful here. The law was nothing but a shadow of what was to come. What or who was to come? Christ was. For, when, for then would they not have ceased to be offered, because that the worshiper once purged should have no more conscience of sin. In other words, if these sacrifices that were made were acceptable to God, then we'd still be making them. But we're not. By the way, these sacrifices were made under law. They were commanded by God. But in those sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins every year. You know what's wrong with us Christians? We keep remembering our sin. And you know what happens when we remember our sin? We recommit the sin. We dwell on our past sins, our past failures, and that destines us to do them again. 
And when they had to bring the sacrifices, every year they had to be reminded of all their sin. For it was not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sin. Here was a problem with the sacrifices in the Old Testament. They did not cleanse sin. They did not remove sin. They just were a covering for a year. <laughs> but there was one offering made that took away sin, that removed sin from us, and that was the blood of Jesus. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 10 through 14. By the way, those of you who are taking notes, um, please continue to feed to me uh, how I can improve to be helpful. You'll notice on the slides today, not only do I have the, the, the verse reference, but I have the book and the chapter as well on each slide uh, so that it helps you in taking your notes, I hope. And uh, that was a suggestion made last week. And please keep feeding those to me because I want to be, I want these slides to be helpful to you. They don't help me any at all because I've got everything on a piece of paper in front of me. All right. But I want to be helpful to you so that you can get as much as you can out of each message. Hebrews 10, uh, 9, 10 says this, which did only in meats and drinks and divers portions and carnal ordinances opposed on them until the time of reformation. The time of reformation. The word reformation there means a making straight, a restoring to its natural and normal condition. Something which in some way protrudes or has gotten out of line. Now, so what we're looking at here is we had the sacrifices when? Until the time of Reformation. What was that time? It was Christ. You see, until Christ died, man could only exist in this natural state of sinfulness. But man was not created that way. Man was created in the image of God. Man corrupted that, and then we were created in the image of Adam. Adam was what? Sinful man. So when the Reformation, when Christ came, then we could be converted back into the original image that God created. We are now in his image. Now, <clears throat> Steve Cook did a great study with us on that subject several years ago. There is this nomer out there that every man walking out here is created in the image of God. The Bible says we're in the image of Adam. It is not until we're born again that we're brought back into that image. And we're made perfect or complete now Body, soul, and spirit have been made complete in Christ. Maybe sometime we'll bring some notes out and do a study on that for you. But Christ, being a high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building. 
That word perfect there means to be brought to its finish. It's finish. A greater, more perfect, more finished tabernacle, not made with hands, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered once into the place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. What's eternal mean? Forever. If you have been redeemed, how long are you redeemed for? All through the scripture, we see the word eternal used when it comes to our salvation, our redemption. Now, if, if I had salvation and then lost it, was it ever eternal? No, it was conditional. It, it would then become conditional to my behavior. We already know, going back to the Old Testament, going back to the law, we already know that we're sinful beings. The flesh is still the flesh. You see, when Adam died, part of him died. When Adam sinned, part of him died. And it's not till man is born again that that part is made alive again. Verse 14 how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Here again, we see when a person comes to Christ, there's a transformation. We go from dead works. Dead works, by the way, are things we do for the flesh things we do to, to build up ourselves. We go from dead works to serve the living God. No longer is it about us, but it becomes about someone else. Now, through this sacrifice, we have entered into the throne room with him. Hebrews 4, 16, let us come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Find grace to help in the time of need. Now, let's look at that verse of Scripture for a moment. Because of Christ, because of Christ, we can boldly enter into that throne room. Now look what it says. That we might find grace when? In time of need. Now let me ask you a question. When is time of need? Come on. All the time. All the time. Time of need is all the time. You say, well, preacher, right now things are good in my life and I'm doing fine and I really don't need anything. Oh, really? How about the air you're breathing? And by the way, if everything's, quote, perfect in your life right now, don't worry, tomorrow's coming. And with the new day, his mercies are renewed day by day. 
Why is his mercy renewed day by day? Because trouble comes day by day. So you're going to have to understand something, church. We don't wait until we're in trouble to enter the throne room. We need him every hour of every day, every minute of every hour, and every second of every minute. I need him. And the mistake we make as Christians, we have this thing that we think, I think we believe. When all else fails, pray. How many of you have ever heard that? How many of you have ever said that? The fact of the matter is, before all else fails, pray. We need to start our day off with him in prayer. And that takes, that takes effort. That takes effort. If you don't think it takes effort, then you don't pray very much. Ouch, huh? Prayer's hard. Prayer is the one time in your life when every distraction in the world be thrown at you. Prayer is that time when you begin to think of everything you have to do. And, 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 and you become kind of a, a, a dual mind. You're praying, but thinking of other things. Prayer has to put other things out and make that effort to focus on him. And I wonder what we could do in our country if believers would find that place every day to screen out all the things of this world and just totally, completely focus on him. You talk about turning our country around. I will say this again. It's not the politician's fault America's in the shape that it's in. I believe it lies in the church. We have forsaken the first love. And we need to get back to our first love. For Christ is not entered into the high places made with hands, which are figure of the true. But into heavens itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Why did Jesus leave heaven? For us. Why did he go back to heaven? For us. I want you to think about the picture for a moment. Jesus came, he walked on earth with beaten, spit upon, ridiculed, uh, tortured, hated, betrayed, hung on a cross, and thrown in a tomb for us. Now, he's in heaven, sitting on the right hand of God the Father for us. You see, every, everything Jesus did was for me. Everything Jesus is doing now is for me. Think about that. <laughs> I was looking at the show the other day, and they were, they were showing the universe, and then the earth in that universe. You know how big the earth looks in the universe? 
Kind of like a dot on a big mural, big wall. <laughs> you know how big we are in the universe? We're a dot on the dot. Okay? Now think about it. We're a dot on the dot. That's how big we are. But yet the dot on the dot is why Jesus came and why Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. He's sitting there for the dot. I think I've said this before, but you go to cemetery and you'll see July 7th, 1825-April 9th, 1885. You know who we are? We're the dash. We're the dash between our day we're born and the day we die. Except for one thing. If you're born again, the dash lives on. If you're not born again, the dash wishes it had been. Acts 7, 8. At 7.48, Howbeit the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands, as saith the prophets. Now, we are his temple. We are his temple. Now, now <laughs> think about that. You, 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 have you noticed in heaven we have God the Father and on his right hand God the Son? You know who's not mentioned in heaven? The Holy Spirit. You want to know why? He's in believers. And he's dwelling on earth convicting men of sin. Isn't it wonderful how God can do that? Know ye not that your body is the temple of God, which is in you? Temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you? Which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Baptist, Kathy, we were always taught, don't say Holy Ghost. Always say Holy Spirit. Well, the problem is, God uses the term Holy Ghost. You use the term Holy Ghost, you'll be called charismatic and this and that, and, 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 and that's kind of a spooky term. Uh, there's nothing spooky about it. Just think about, think about, hey, you think it's spooky? That ghost lives in you. Lives inside of you as a believer. Now, he had to be in that form to enter into you. So don't be scared of what the Bible calls Holy Ghost. We need a little bit more Holy Ghost around here, to be honest with you. Okay? We need to act like he's in us. Uh, Manny, I, I, I just watched worship today. I was really uh, taken back by how people were just caught up in it. And uh, normally, when we're doing our worship time, praise time, I kind of zero in on somebody that's really excited me during that time. And, and, and I'm going to embarrass her. I know I am, but 
I'm focusing on Jane this morning, and it just, you just so, I, I was just, she was caught up in the moment. And it did something for me. You know, that's why we have, collect, we don't have collective worship necessarily to encourage God. Collective worship encourages other believers to help us enter into that presence together. And so please don't ever be afraid here in church. If God gets a hold of you, let her go. Enjoy it. You're in the presence of family. And our father showed up. He is the giver of all life. By the way, this is why I'm so against abortion. That baby in the mother's womb is life given and created by God. Amen. Acts 17, 24, and 25, God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is worship with men's hands as though he need anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Now, look at that verse. I, I just made a mention that this collective worship is not, we don't collectively worship to impress God. God is not worshiped by man's hands as though he needed, needed us to do that. God, you know why God doesn't need my worship? Because if I don't do it, the stones will. God's going to get his worship. God's going to get his praise. And we're told in the Bible, in the end, every single knee is going to bow down. You know who worship really helps the most? Me. We cheat ourselves when we don't worship the living God. Because worship is for me. It's me entering into his presence. And, and, and newsflash, you cannot impress God with your worship. I, I mean, how do you impress somebody who's created everything? <laughs> I, I'm 73 years old, and my birthday and Christmas time, my kids have to wonder, what are we going to get dad this year? He's already got everything. I mean, there's nothing new we can get him. Now you can give me one of them new electric cars if y'all want, but you know. Huh? You built me a forge, I know. It's hard to come up with something to impress dad that he doesn't already have. Well, you try impressing God. What are you going to bring to God that he doesn't already have? The only thing I ever brought to God that he didn't have was my own heart. And once I gave him my heart, he gave me everything. Everything. Now look, he giveth to all life. To all life. If you're breathing today, it's because of God. If you're able to, to get out and about today, it's because of God. He gives life and breath. 
and all things. If you have a job today, thank God. If you have a car today, thank God. If you have food at the house, thank God. You say, I work hard for my own food. No, listen, the only, way you, only reason you can work hard is God's given you the health to work hard. See, there used to be a time I built fences. I couldn't do that anymore. But isn't it funny, when I had the strength to build fences and when I don't have the strength to build fences, God still meets the needs. God still takes care of me. My being taken care of is not dependent on my own goodness, health, wealth, or anything else. It's all dependent upon the mercy and grace of a living God.